0: 12 years at Shiloh, okay one of the really founding churches of unity movements and prayer movements in the region, for those of you who don't know, makes um, personal experience with Mark has been an absolute joy, quite honestly. He's very unassuming, uh, very humble, very kind, very gracious and laughs quite easily, which is also fun. He understands the military, Uh, Analogies that we use, so that's always kind of nice. You know, people that get us get our Delta Force DNA and terminology and whatnot. Um, But he's going to teach us on the end times. Uh, We had talked about this in the last Dream Team meeting that we don't really have a good curriculum for it. And that's not something I want to be doing myself. I just don't want to figure it out. But he's been studying under Mike Bickle for around a decade or so, a couple decades maybe, two decades, okay, about 20 years. On the end time stuff, and he just knows it inside out. So I thought, rather than try and duplicate um, something that already exists, well, why don't we just invite someone who's kind of taking the time to master it? So can you guys help me welcome our brother and our friend, Mark Scott, up here? Thanks to Mark Scott. Yeah. So he was just saying, for those of you listening to the podcast, we will make his notes available. He is a true biblical follower at heart. And Mike always has notes, so if you want those notes, you can contact us at Shekinahonline.com and we will get those to you. Okay. Oh, yeah, you've
1: got. Do that. I get this? Yeah, you've got that. Am You're I
2: good. on? You are on. Good for me. Yeah. Am I? Cami? eight. Oh, This, isn't not, this is not this a sermon or a message. It's a little orientation to the end times. And if you don't like the notes, you can put them in the circular file if you want to, but I don't think you will. I've been interested in the end times since uh, high school. Uh, I've always... Since I was a junior in high school, I've always wanted to know what, what's going on. Who, who am I? Why am I here? Is there a God? And when I started listening to Billy Graham, then I started to feel like I would live to the end of the world, or I'd be close, close to that. I had no idea it was the end of the age, not the end of the world, I just knew something was coming up. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been interested in it ever since and then God sovereignly put me on this track um, about 25 years ago. So um, I'm thinking that Probably most people in the body of Christ do not have a grid for the end times they know they're coming they know we're probably in them but where are we in him and what's what is God doing why is he doing it where are we in his timeline and how are we to respond so that's what this uh, that's what these notes are all about. So we'll just jump into them here. Um, what is God doing? The three, three great things that God is engaged in right now: a great shaking, a great harvest, and a great transition from the end of this age into the next one. Good, good job. We're quite a team. <laughs> Tenfold ministry. <laughs> okay. So, let's look at the great shaking. Uh, I'm not going to look at many scriptures because for time's sake, but let's look at Haggai 2. If you brought your sword. Verse 6 and 7. Um... He's talking to Haggai and Zechariah, with the prophets, when the, or Haggai, yeah, Zechariah, when they came back from Babylon and started to build the second temple, and they were um, they were probably discouraged because uh, some of them had actually seen. Uh, Solomon's temple. Now in 1st Chronicles 22 it says that David raised he, he uh, stored up for Solomon to build the temple about in today's money it would be about 150 billion dollars in gold and silver that was poured into the temple. It was quite a building. One of the wonders of the world. It would be today. Um, and they came back, and there was no more temple. All the gold and silver was gone. Everything else. So they started from scratch and built another temple, and they were discouraged about it. So the Lord comes on the scene and verse, what is it? Well, verse 5, it says, he takes them back to Egypt. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. This is, I'm going to round out these years, about a 1,000 years prior. I'm still with you today like I was with them then. So in the next verse, he takes them now 2,500 years in the future. But he says, what you're doing, though it's small, the glory I'm going to fill this house is, with is going to be greater now and in the future than it was back then. Wow. It, was a, it was a glory of a beautiful building and of course he was present there but he was going to be even more present in the future. So he takes him 2,500 years in the future to this time and he says I will shake five areas in the world I will shake the heavens the earth the sea the dry land and the nations so that and it says this in the New King James and the King James the New King James says so that the nations will come to the desire of all nations this is a title given to the Lord Jesus and in the King James it says, so that the desire of all nations will come. So the presence of the Lord in whatever vessel he's honored in is going to be greater than anything that, temp- that Solomon built. Even. Okay, now, the writer of Hebrews has a com- commentary on that says in Hebrews 12, God will shake, remove the things in the natural realm so that the things in the spiritual realm in other words, the kingdom of God will become more apparent so don't you feel that that's what's happening yeah. we're in a great shaking yes. I'll put this into a little more context later on in these notes, but we'll, we'll add to that Also what's beginning to happen is a great harvest involving the righteous believers and another group of unrighteous believers, the wheat and the tares. That's also in progress. Um, You can read you can read the rest of that at another time but it says in Matthew 13 that the harvest is the end of the age or the harvest is the conclusion of the age or the consummation or the the completion, the climax, the crescendo of the age it's everything's coming into focus, everything's coming to a head the harvest is coming into maturity both the good and the bad harvest and that is the end of the age we're going on to the next age okay and then point C, a great transition is taking place between the end of this age and the beginning of the next which he metaphorically likens to a woman's time of labor the baby that's being born is the full revelation of the kingdom of God upon the earth. And then I gave you some other scriptures about labor I'm going to add another one Jeremiah 30 verse 6 and 7 oh by the way if you have questions write them down because at the end we can do those. (coughs) The birth pains of the earth during this time frame will increase both in frequency and intensity. So how many of you have had babies? Okay, so you know what this is all about. Okay now, these birth tanks consist of four things happening at the same time. One one of them or any combination of all four of them. Alright? The rage of Satan, the sin of man, which culminates in the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, the groanings of the earth, and the judgments of God. And I, I put down scripture references for all these. These things are beginning to more and more happen. They've been happening, but now they are you're building up some steam. I mean, we can tell this year that it's pretty unusual what is happening, and nobody seems to be able to comprehend it it fully. So, the transitional period will see the escalation of great stress for certain, but also a revelation of the glory of God. Joe called it the great and the terrible day of the Lord great for those of us who believe and terrible terrifying actually for those who don't so why is god shaking everything so that's the next question because we're coming to the end of the age for sure god is god wants to showcase his son He wants everyone to know who Jesus is. He wants everyone to see his majesty and understand. And he's also ushering in his son's kingdom on the earth, as it is in heaven. So point A is he's revealing the fame, the majesty of of the king of the earth. Jesus is the man who's bringing all things to conclusion on earth he's engaged in three activities all at the same time Revelation, the book of Revelation portrays him in these in these three um, aspects, the bridegroom, the king and the judge Uh, in the book of Revelation he's not the shepherd he's not the savior or a lot of other titles that that are in the Bible, but in the book of Revelation, he's bringing all things to conclusion. As a bridegroom, preparing his bride as a sovereign king, he's gathering in his citizens, yeah. and as a righteous judge, he's releasing his judgments upon evil, both on the earth and in the heavenlies. There's bad guys up there that are uh, controlling things, and he's going to deal with them at the same time. Okay, and the second point is, the Father will vindicate his Son and glorify his Son's name by releasing his Son's power. He desires that we see his Son's glory in this hour like John did in Revelation 1. The Apostle John knew him, probably was closer to him than all all the other apostles. But when he saw Jesus in what forty years later, uh, he fainted in front of him because of his the majesty was there. It wasn't what he saw so much, although that's pretty vivid and startling, is being in the presence of his majesty. God wants us to, to encounter him that same way, and we're going to have that encounter in the future sometime. Yeah, the sooner the better. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah, I agree. Amen. He also wants us to understand his end-time plan. So that we can agree with him and join with him in releasing his judgments. Um, I'll just take you there real quick, Psalm 149. I never understood this, this psalm. I'd read it and I thought, I don't know where that fits. Okay, verse 5 through 9. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written or already written, this is the praise and honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Okay, so what this is referring to in verse 9, the judgments that are already written, are those judgments in Revelations, the seals, the trumpets, and the bolts. We're going to participate with them in that. That's another message. Just thought I would bonk you over the head with that one. <laughs> he's going to teach us how to do that the, um, Moses and Aaron were the ones that released his judgments upon Egypt and the Pharaoh at that time and that's a type for us of what's going to happen in the last days as we leave our Egypt this age and enter into the promised land, the millennium. We're gonna participate, we're gonna be his mouthpiece. That's part two though, um, in September or whatever. Okay, where am I? Okay, he does not want us to be offended by him or to fall into unbelief. Or be deceived, afraid, anxious, ignorant, complacent, or confused by what is happening. He wants us joyfully focused and engaged, anchored in his Son and in eternity. And He's going to He's going to do that for those of us who volunteer. <laughs> okay. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty, this is Isaiah speaking, and he shall be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Okay, that's revealing the majesty of the king. Now we're going to talk about his kingdom. He's going to reinstitute the kingdom of God on earth which is the same as re-establishing the Garden of Eden rule and culture on the earth. If you take the first two books of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and the last two books of the Bible, Revelations 21 and 22, you have a complete story. All that happens in between is God getting us back to there. So the Garden of Eden is coming again. Round two. Okay, a simple definition of the Kingdom of God is any place the will of God is being done. And first of all, that starts in our hearts. The lifestyle of the Kingdom of God or the culture of the Kingdom of God is the Sermon on the Mount. Or... Some others have called it the constitution of the kingdom. Some refer to the church as being the family of God and the kingdom of God as being the family business, which I like that idea. Okay, the gospel of the Kingdom. The Gospel of the Kingdom is what Jesus and John the Baptist preached. It's what the Apostles preached. It's, what the new, it's the Gospel of the New Testament. But it's not the Gospel that most of us have heard in our culture. Okay, now we're going to talk about what that is. The Gospel of the Kingdom or Jesus said The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Okay, we're not just going to. The body of Christ or the bride of Christ is not just going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to bring it. We're going to demonstrate it. We're going to bring some of the presence of the of the kingdom to bear across the earth. Everyone is going to, everyone on the earth is going to have the opportunity to see Jesus and to experience his kingdom. Some will refuse it, a lot of will refuse it, but everyone is going to have that opportunity. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus is returning to establish his rule over the planet. This will be a hostile takeover, as one preacher has called it, because the rulers of this world don't like him and don't want to be ruled by him. But he will succeed. That's the story of Psalm 2. What we've heard is the gospel of salvation, which involves repentance, forgiveness of sin, faith in Christ. As wonderful as it is, is not the whole or the full gospel. It is the entryway into the kingdom of God. We are saved from sin and self in order to participate in His kingdom on Earth, beginning the moment we uh, are born again. The kingdom of God, Matthew 11:12, Jesus says, "The kingdom of God suffers violence." Which uh, the word "suffer" means permit, or I like to use the word "requires." The kingdom of God requires violence. You can't be, you can't complacent, complacently wander in and through the kingdom of God. You have to discipline your soul to enter the kingdom. There are 89, thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. You're here. Thank you, Dad. We
1: got
2: There are 89 chapters in the Bible of eyewitness accounts of Jesus' first coming Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, there are at least 150 chapters in uh, the Bible of which all or the majority of the text is talking about his second coming. Many Bible teachers have used the phrase now and not yet to describe the kingdom of God's presence on earth. Both John the Baptist and Jesus said that the kingdom had come to earth when Jesus was baptized by John. They were talking about the initial or the partial revealing of the Kingdom in this age. It would come in two stages. In Matthew 13, Jesus told seven parables about how the Kingdom of God would be manifest in this age. Um, You can probably zip through a few of those in your mind. Um, It would begin internally in the heart it would start small but would eventually fill the whole world. The value would not be seen by many. Obedience would be voluntary. <laughs> At the end of the age, his judgments would remove the ungodly from the godly, not the other way around. We're not being uh, whisked off to heaven to live in the sweet by and by forever. <laughs> We are coming back. Earth is our home. Forever. The kingdom is coming to the earth as it is in heaven. In the first stage, Jesus came to primarily deal with the sin of mankind as the Lamb of God. He didn't appear with a big announcement. People had to discover who he was. He's not coming back to take away sin again. He has done it once for all. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah, there's the roar in there, to take leadership of the earth. This whole age has been about repentance of our sin and getting ready for the age to come getting ourselves ready. He's going to be the king of the earth. He's already king in heaven. His reign will last a thousand years. And it'd be what Peter said in Acts 3.21, the period of the restoration of all things. Okay, so that restoration is the restoration of, of the Garden of Eden on the earth. It doesn't happen all at once. It takes a thousand years for that to happen. Um, there's some there's scripture someplace that says, then he turns the kingdom over to the Father. Do you know where that is, Dan? It's in the good book. I know, but I couldn't find it. Um, okay, during... During which time, the thousand years, the Garden of Eden environment, culture, and dominion will be restored over the whole world. Okay, I don't know if you've ever thought much about the millennium. Anybody have a picture of the millennium? I know Dan does. <laughs>
1: okay. It's not Y2K.
2: Okay, so let's. Uh, the scripture gives us some hints about the millennium. Actually, when you look into it, there's. A, it says a lot about the millennium that you can glean from it, and you put it all together, and uh, you know you can have a series of messages about it. It's pretty pretty awesome just to just to imagine. It'll it'll do something to you. Yeah. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. I knew Paul said that somewhere. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. Okay, so let's look at the millennium, what the kingdom looks like on earth. Natural human beings will still be born with Adamic natures. And now there's two people groups. There's the natural human beings, the ones who have survived the great tribulation. They will repopulate the earth. They will be given a the opportunity to receive the Lord at the beginning. So the only people that go on, the only natural human beings that go on to into the millennium are going to be born again believers but they still have a damn nature so they have to receive the gospel of salvation themselves now there's another people group a new, another actually species of people and that would be us we have uh, we've graduated we've gone in the resurrection in the rapture and we have new bodies and we are a, uh, we're not an Adamic species of human beings, we are actually a, a Jesus species, whatever, God, man, anyway, we're fused, it says in 1st John, we're fused with the seed of God in us, we're a new species, that, uh, by the way, that's already happened, yes. we are a new species. But we get new bodies in the rapture, and that's what that's all about. The reason we need new bodies is because we're going to be on Earth. Earth's going to be our home forever. Uh, anyway, we're going to get to the new bodies in a minute. <coughs> got to learn how to cough with this thing on. Huh? <laughs> awesome. You're my very best friend. Okay, the curse of Genesis three will be progressively removed. Um, I don't know how long that will take. It might happen all at once, but probably, probably not. It'd be progressively removed. Probably won't take a long time, but um, not like that. Could do that, um, but everybody has to get acclimated to the new kingdom. Natural human lifetimes would be extended, um, probably all the way back to what it was like right after the fall, you know, living seven, eight, nine hundred years. It says um, in that scripture I referenced there, anybody who dies at 100 years old would be like an infant and and will be thought to be cursed. Anyone who needs healing will be able to receive it. Some animals' natures will be changed. There will be no armies or wars. Um, There will be no evil powers at all. Murphy won't even be there. (coughs) Yeah, Murphy, Murphy goes with the bad guys. But um, You know, uh, I've never read in the Jewish Bible that the Jews ever had a police force. You think they did Alan? you know? Not initially, anyway. Yeah, I, I've
1: never read it.
2: The families dealt with those issues, and if the families didn't, the elders in the gates dealt with those issues. But um, so I don't know if there'd be a police force or not. Not in Israel, probably, but maybe out there in the Gentile land, there might be some. But no armies, no wars. So. Um, People will live a long time, it brings me a lot of people after the end of a thousand years. That is really the great harvest. <laughs> We're going to have one in this age, but that's a real big time one in the millennium. Okay, where are we? Oh, all these cosmic powers, you know, these thrones, dominions... there's going to be a big change out they're all cast down some of us get to be in their place so there will only be good influence in in the whole earth no evil like I said even Murphy will be gone the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord obedience to Jesus will be mandatory Jerusalem will be the world capital. Heavenly Jerusalem will hover over it. Israel will be the host nation of his kingdom. You know, just like Washington, DC, the district of Columbia, uh, Israel will be that way. The district of the king. And you know there won't be three three different parts of government: executive, legislative, judicial. He will do it all. He's the king. We don't really understand it in our world too much because we've grown up with with the government we have. We don't know what a king's like. But before the United States, everything was a king. All governments were run by kings or you know, the, the families. Um, all nations will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles each year. Israel will be quite a tourist attraction. <laughs> okay, now the other group of human beings is us. And we will be on the earth, so to speak, but our home will be in the heavenly city, Jerusalem, but we'll be able to travel to the earth um, like that, just like Jesus did in in his resurrected body. We can, uh, you know, it's an amazing thought that, to me, that Jesus cannot be any, in one place any more than one place at a time, forever. Because he became a man. The Father and the Holy Spirit can, but he can't. And that's fine with him, but he can get around real fast. <laughs> and uh, and we'll have bodies like that too. If he sends us on an errand, it'll be done pretty quick. So. The supernatural human beings, the Jesus people, is the bride of Christ who have participated in the first resurrection, or the rapture, will be given an area of service in his kingdom and their home will be in the heavenly city. Okay, I said we're already a new species. These are the characteristics of the bride in her new um, neighborhood. God himself dwells in our bodies. We have a new heart and a new mind. We, our bodies are actually his temple and he's desired that forever. To live in our bodies with us. That's just something to meditate on. Our resurrected bodies would be just like Jesus'. You know, there's a, I think it's Luke that gives the account kind of him after the resurrection and he can eat or not eat, he can pass through walls he can go wherever he wants to go um and it says that his body won't be a flesh and blood body, it will be a flesh and bones And so there won't be any more blood in our our bodies I don't don't really understand that, it takes a a medical person to understand that Uh, Our bodies will be changed to accommodate both the heavenly and the the temporal, um, natural world. There will be divine unity with all believers. One new man. That unity will be the same unity that we have in our hearts with God. We will have it with one another we will, we will not have any filters between our thoughts and our actions. We'll just be who we are, and people will like us that way. (laughs) No bad vibes in heaven. So, you know, we don't have to edit. Every time we come up to a new person, you know, or even a somebody we already know depending on the mood we're in or whatever. We start editing, you know, what we can mm-hmm. what we can say. No more of that. Uh-huh. We just be ourselves. We will know uh, whoever you want to know, Moses, David, we'll all be very best friends. It's just an awesome thing to think about. And then the, the capper is we have Unity with God. We're, we're not made into big G gods, but we are little G gods. We're brought into the Trinity, but not as a part of the Trinity. we brought into the fellowship of the Trinity. It's just amazing things to think about. Okay, wow, we're already we here. Um... Next page. So, where are we in the end time timeline? So, Matthew 24 is like the big chapter, the parallel chapters are Mark 13 and Luke 21. Jesus signals three phases of escalating trouble or trauma at the close of this age stress. The end times stu- to some end time students have labeled these, quote, the beginning of birth pangs, which is that period that either started in 1948 when Israel became a nation again, or 1967 when Jerusalem came under the control of Israel. The beginning of birth pangs, labor pangs. Um, and that will continue get more intense and get more frequent we can expect that there will be no more peace on the earth till, till the end I mean not any kind of lasting peace it's just going to be stirred up it's like um, I haven't had a baby but I can imagine I had a wife who had four babies uh once those contractions start and they you know they're really start getting intense and regular um there's no more peace until that baby is delivered <laughs> right I've seen it, and I haven't experienced it <laughs> you you because know, the next one's coming, and uh so, there, there will be no more peace um, until this next period called, which um, some have called increasing birth pangs. Okay, that is the period that starts Daniel's 70th week, if you know anything about that. It's the beginning, it's what, it's begin, the beginning of the seven, last seven years. It lasts three and a half years. The increasing birth pains. Uh, It's a time of false peace on the earth. The Antichrist is going to be revealed by that time. He's going to make a covenant, especially with Israel, but with all nations, because they're obese. So much, what happened to me? Should I stop? Did you need to sit down? Did you need that black? I'm good.
0: Okay. Just switch We're to this. Sure. If I
2: faint then the I'll battery in your pack. Just give a
0: holler if you need
2: Thank you. All right. In my back? Alright, let's try. I'll try holding this. Um, so this this person who's trying to portray himself as Christ is going to make uh, is going to bring peace on the earth by making covenants, quote, covenants with nations and so there will be this short period of, quote, peace on earth that's the beginning of the seven year period there will be a false religion, the harlot religion going on. And that religion will have a false justice system going on. I uh, can't explain that right now, but uh, you can read about what this period is like in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. Well, verses 1 and 2, it says Fierce, fierce times are going to come upon. The, the earth. People will be lovers of, of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Those would be the things that are ruling people. And it goes on to give a, another terrifying list of, <laughs> of what they'll be engaged in. Okay, that lasts uh, for three and a half years. And then Another, the last phase, the hard labor pains, which is what the book of Revelations from chapter 6 through 19 is describing, the hard labor pains, the release of the seals, the trumpets, and um, not the bowls, but the seals and the trumpets. Um, Okay, so without a doubt, we have been experiencing the early events of this progression back in the beginning of birth pains. We continue to hear of ethnic cl- conflicts, famines, plagues, earthquakes. Our earth is beginning to rock and reel like a ship in a stormy sea. These four dynamics that we mentioned earlier are increasing, and the world is languishing under the weight of evil coming into maturity. You know, we never really faced that yet. But if you know anything about World War II, and for some reason I'm just fascinated with World War II, i read a lot about it. It was terrible. It was as terrible as you can imagine in Europe and in the, where the Japanese took over as well. So uh, but more terrible, a more terrible time is coming upon the Earth. I, I can't imagine that it's going to be any more terrible um, qualitatively, because you can't imagine the things that, that happen. You can hardly talk about it. you know, a lot of the things that happen. Um, But it's going to happen to more people. At one stage, a third of the earth gets killed. At another stage, half of the earth, or uh, anyway, a couple of of billion people. That's a a lot of people. Okay, so God seems to always let the devil play his hand first. And then he plays his. He's like the, the ultimate counterpuncher. <laughs> he'll, let, he'll let you swing first, but he's going to have the last and final blow. That's right, yeah.
1: Come on, that's right, yeah.
2: The hard labor part is God <laughs> exposing Satan, his true intent and his nature. Because Satan loves to be in the darkness. He loves to... Um, operate from the back room but he's going to expose him and uh, you know that's, that's what's terrible that we read about in the book of Revelation God exposes him but he has to be brought out in the open for the whole world to see and At the same time, he's going to expose the depth of sin in human hearts. The lawlessness that's in human hearts. Okay, so now I'm going to, I wanted to talk about who is this God who's making the judgments and what is the nature of his judgments because I don't think we most of us have a very good handle on that you know I until I looked into this I still thought I still thought of the word wrath meaning God just beside himself going after people
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and uh, you know that's what we think of when we think of God these these uh, horrific events that are, are going to be happening. But God is not, not like that. We're going to read about his nature here. Um, he doesn't lose it. He doesn't get frustrated with his kids and go after Him with his belt. That, that isn't who he is. His judgments are precision they're they're surgical strikes out of his love. Okay. So out of point B, of the three great roles that Jesus portrays as this age closes, bridegroom, king, and judge, his role as judge is the most difficult to understand. We as believers need to comprehend the nature of both the righteous judge and his judgments. If we fail to do it, as trouble, stress, and pressure builds, we'll find ourselves severely at risk of being offended at God, falling into unbelief, deceived, afraid, or and or confused, and not able to engage with Him and what He's doing. Um, okay, so first, to look at the judge. 1 John chapter 4 makes several statements about the love of the judge. By the way, God is always perfectly balanced. He never lets go of his love when he's um, displaying his wrath. It may sound like a contradiction, Uh, but let's read more about that. He's always perfectly balanced. He's never out of control. He's perfectly in control all the time. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, 1 John 4 says God is love, and love is from God. Any love that. So, he has the commodity of. That's what this saying. God has the commodity on love. (laughs) There is no love except Him, but He shares it. Love is from God. So we get to receive His love and, and share it. But there is no human love. We're created to be receivers and expressers of His love, but our human love always has Bob Mumpert, some of you who are old remember him. He used to say, human love has a hook in it. Oops. I'll love you as long as you love me. But God's love is unconditional. Okay, so let's look at the judge. Are, um, God is way beyond being a loving person. I, did, I, I didn't know how to express this. He he doesn't have love. He isn't a loving person. He's way beyond that. God is love. He's the very, the very essence of God is love. It's amazing when you think about our God, the sovereign God, God who knows everything, you know, his perfect control. His nature is love. He, it's impossible for him to do anything other than love even if it's expressing his wrath he doesn't know how to he, I mean he can't his nature is not that way someone said that God is love in its most perfect form His wisdom, his power are expressions of his love. He created human beings to be the recipients and expressors of his radiant love. Here's the part I really needed to understand about his his nature and his judgment. There is no contradiction between a passionate bridegroom and a righteous judge. Judgment is God's esteem for the value of love. Refusal of his love doesn't hurt God's feelings. It offends him. Because the nobility and dignity of love is despised and disregarded. Refusal of his holy love has dire consequences then. To say no to it is to lose one's reason for being a human being. To have no reason to exist. To say no to God's love is really losing your right to live, your right to exist at all. When love himself comes to take control of the world, he will destroy and remove everyone and everything that hinders love's expression and development. So we must learn to see God's judgments through God's love. If we could frustrate him, we would have some degree of power over him. And he's way ahead of us. He knows where we're we're headed long before we do. So, you know, he's not surprised. Okay, next, the nature of his judgments. Isaiah 26, 9 says, When the earth experiences thy judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Okay, what is the principle of divine judgment? This this is awesome. God uses the least severe means to bring the greatest number of people into the deepest level of love or into the deepest level of maturity without violating anyone's free will, without making any mistakes. He's surgical... And he can do it worldwide and he can do it all the time. That is the glory of God as judge. He he can several times in the book of Revelations the angels and everybody up there is praising God for his judgments. His judgments are righteous and true, they say. And that's what they're talking about. He's Perfect justice—that's what his judgments are—is his justice being extended. Three kinds of divine judgments. First of all, there's the punitive ones, or expressions of his wrath, wrath, as the British say, wrath. Derek Prince influence for wicked oppressors to vi- who violate the rights and lives of others. Okay, that's what they can expect. But then there's, um, the kind, there's a second kind of a judgment on believers. It's called redemptive discipline. Yes. And that can seem pretty severe at times, yes. but it's sur- surgically severe. <laughs> that's because we don't get it we don't get it the first time okay so Mike Pickle says it this way God will kick out our props and settle some issues in our lives that we can't quite find sustained resolve to push away from these are called compromises you know we are we hold on to something and we say, God, if you do that, then I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah. But as long if you don't do that, then I'm holding on to it. Because um, we're always looking to, we're always looking for convenience and comfort. And some things, um, you can't have that. So, Okay. There will be no spots or wrinkles on the bride's wedding dress. The spots are sin, the wrinkles are compromises or things that aren't quite ironed out. Um, there's a scripture in James uh I think it's chapter 4. Um it, it says uh really what it says, it may not say this in your Bible, but it says, um, doggone it, what did it say? Oh, the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us jealously desires the entire devotion of the heart. So the reason for God's discipline is he's looking for our hearts to be full of his love expressed back to him. You know, if you, if you love someone with all your heart, you're not satisfied or fulfilled unless they love you back the same way. That's the way he got is. So he sees these things in our hearts that we're holding on to, and he goes after him sometimes. And uh, he's not beyond embarrassing us sometimes. But that's that's not the usual thing. That's if we're not listening the first, second, and third, and fourth time.
1: Um,
2: Okay, and then the other kind of judgments are are favorable, or they're rewards for our acts of righteousness. C, his judgments are his intervention against darkness in the human heart and wickedness on earth. And our important display of his love and his glory. All three of these happen simultaneously in all times, spheres, and regions throughout the whole world. Now he's been doing this forever. But it gets more intense, um, you know, towards the end of this age. Um, When should I stop? Well, are you still engaged, everybody? Mm -hmm. Do I have ten minutes or so? Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Okay, Okay, you guys are are the real deal. The real bride. Okay. What events must happen before the Great Tribulation? Okay, I've thought about this. You know, where are we and what's got to happen yet? right because he doesn't want us confused he wants us focused he wants us peaceful uh, but also bold you know it's like an army um, somebody has said that under the bride's dress are her combat boots so that, that's where he what what he's bringing us into at the end of the age. Okay, so what are some of the things that have yet to happen? Ephesians 4.13, the church must come into the unity, intimacy, and maturity that the Lord is looking for going to bring about. Um, the first commandment and the second commandment must take first and second place in the church. I didn't give a scripture, but here it is if you want to write it down. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. The, this is, someone asked Jesus what the great, greatest commandment was. And he said the Shema. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like that. Your neighbor as yourself. So we still don't see that in the bride yet. The third thing, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. The fourth thing, now these aren't in in order necessarily. The end time prayer movement must reach maturity. And very few people even know that that has to happen. Or much less what it looks like. But um, that's the next message. And I believe that's how he's going to bring us into the unity, intimacy, and maturity of Ephesians 4.13. A great harvest and a great falling away must take place. The Antichrist must be revealed. Babylon must be rebuilt. A Jerusalem temple must be built. I don't look upon this temple as something necessarily that God has uh, pushed forward. Okay, but it has. There is, I'm told, a group of people <laughs> who have been preparing for to build this temple for a long time, and there has to be a temple for the things that Daniel and uh, describes and. Which Jesus described in Matthew twenty-four. Uh, that'll be a big deal because the temple going to be built where the Dome of the Rock is, <laughs> right now. Um, okay, so one day I was thinking about Noah. At the end of Matthew twenty-four, Jesus is, Jesus references Noah, the days of Noah. Um, I don't know all that he was intending in that, but it started me thinking, if God gave Noah uh, about 100 years, Dan told me it was 120 years, to build the ark, then is he more likely or less likely to give us that much time also at the end of the age? So if that's true, and I believe it is, about a hundred years. Then, and if that started back in 1948 and 1967, then we're looking at what I bracket. This isn't "Thus saith the Lord." This is Mark speaking. We got two to four more decades left before some of us in this room will see what's. What's spoken about or written about in, Matthew, in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. In other words, the Great Tribulation. So we're in, the, I think we're in that time frame. Two to four more decades. Two for sure if President Trump doesn't get reelected.
1: <laughs>
2: we're going to slide downhill so fast. Well, I'm believing that too, but there's always the possibility. But God is way ahead of all of us. Okay, so let's uh, quickly go through this last page, page 7. How are we to respond? At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned that his words would be tested in each one's life. Loyalty, loyalty to him will be the utmost important in the days ahead. No, we can't appreciate that now, but the wind isn't blowing real strong yet. If you know anything about the paranoia that was in Europe in World War II, where family members turned on one another and nobody could really know who they could trust. um, That's gonna be the climate on the earth in the days ahead that paranoia, that fear Jesus said men's hearts will fail them for fear because there will be no escaping it it will be there it will all be part of it except those of us who know the Lord will also have his presence to withstand all that there still will be treachery going on all around us uh, well, I got to get back from that bunny trail. I've never met a bunny trail I didn't like, so it's hard for me to get back. I appreciate the people that will track with me and say, "Hey, this is where you were." But not not many do that because I can't. I go everywhere. Okay.
1: Um.
2: The end time countdown is just that, the greatest of storms that will ever hit the planet. Oh, Jesus likened it to an approaching hurricane. You know, when he said, uh, the person who builds his house upon the sand, as opposed to the person who builds his house on the rock. Okay, and building it on the rock is hearing his words and doing his words. Uh, everyone has seen footage of large hurricanes. No one can withstand can stand against its destructive force. That big one is out at sea right now, but it's headed our way. And we are all directly in its path of chaos, and there is only one place to hide. I just love that the Holy Spirit gave me this scripture right when I got to that point. We hide in him where we live and move and have our being. Amen. Come at the, our That's our shelter. Shelter in the storm.
1: Yeah, of
2: okay, the Lord has given us just enough time to get ready, but no time to waste. In His most comprehensive message on the end times, this is Matthew 24. Um, he talked about two strong winds, um, the bands close to the center. You know, oh, I guess it goes this way. Uh, deception. See to it that you are not deceived. See, and then see to it that you are not afraid. Because this Antichrist guy, anti means not just against, but it means in place of. It's hard to imagine this now, but you can see um, echoes of it in the world already. He's going to marginalize Christ in the eyes of the world. He's going to invalidate his claims, his works, his power. He's going to portray him as the great imposter, the great bad guy. And he's going to make him public enemy number one. And those of us who side with him will be public enemy number one. As well, both Jews and Gentiles. Um, He's going to turn the roles around completely. It'll be—it's the lie that's talked about in Second second Thessalonians. Um, The lie—he's just going to turn it all around in the eyes of the world. You know, if we didn't know the Lord. We had no idea what we know now. We were just out there in the world. We didn't know whether there was a God. We had no idea that there was a plan, there was history going on. Yeah. It was just random events happening. You know how frightening would that be? We would be so vulnerable, susceptible to some person like this coming along with great power, great charisma, um, sucking us all up into that view. This is what's going to happen. So any Christian that's not strong in their faith will get in this wind as well. So he said two other things to put on our emergency kits. He said, watch and pray. And that's all he said. Watch and pray. Stay with me. In other words, be close to me. Know my word. uh, Get with um, the family. Watch and pray. Okay, so point C watching and praying is something we must all do constantly as individual saints. We must guard our hearts and see that we're not caught in deception and fear. I don't know about you, but I don't have to listen to the news But a few seconds, and fear and anxiety is coming upon me. And I have to run and hide in His love and His word. And uh, we, we have to watch that. Okay, but that's we have to guard our hearts. That's what he's talking about there. Right. But as I was making this, uh, these notes, I was thinking, you know, that isn't all. It's, we're not just going and run and hide from the storm. Yeah. He's called us to stand up in the storm, That's right. even sometimes to rebuke the storm.
1: Right.
2: So how is that? That's the offensive side of watching and praying. God is wanting to train us in the st- as the storm intensifies. You know, he's going to put pressure on the church. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking that he's, done he's wanting the church to stand up and rebuke COVID-19. Yes.
1: Otherwise, that thing might linger around for a long
2: time. I think he's wanting us to rebuke
1: it. Yeah,
2: um, that's Okay, this watching and praying in an offensive posture is, not, is done as individuals, but mostly he's talking about um, incorporiety as groups of people in the prayer room, in the end time prayer ministry. He's mobilizing and engaging an army that will be under the direction of the Supreme Commander. Mm -hmm. We'll be awaiting our instructions from the Holy Spirit all the time. And we'll be standing in that storm and we'll be loving him and one another in that storm and we'll be actually having a great time sometimes, if not all the time. If we're in that prayer room. That's right.
1: Amen.
2: Right, Dan? Amen, brother. (laughs) Okay, so he said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. This is Matthew 16, 19. That's not on your notes, but it's Matthew 16, 19. I've given you the king, keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose
1: That's right. yeah.
2: on earth. And what you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loosed in heaven. That's right. Another scripture I'll give you is Daniel 10, 12. The angel shows up to Daniel and he says... I've come, Daniel. I've come in response to your words. Yeah, cool. So, our words are going to uh, send some angels packing, and bring some angels to our right. our, yeah, like our defense. Yeah. Okay, we reached the end. That's so that, that's it. So, part two is about the. Uh, Taking the offense in the end time prayer ministry. And it might happen September 6th is when she scheduled me next.
0: Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey, because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world.
2: If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled, Listener Support on Every Podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.